It's such a difficult thing to always take the mic away from the eloquent guy that is Etienne, uh, but um, I'm really humbled this morning to stand in front of this amazing gathering of saints, and um, I was really being purposeful about the word saints, uh, and I know that Etienne just mentioned something as he was ministering to us during worship about sainthood. I think uh, in this world that we're living in, we've, um, we've often been taught about sainthood as something that, re- that is reserved for special people, people that have done extraordinary things. But when you look at sainthood according to the Bible and according to Scripture, uh, particularly when you look at um, how Paul used to address the churches in his letters, you always used to refer to them as saints. And sainthood is really not an issue of merit because some of the churches that Paul wrote to, particularly the church of Corinth, were not known to be of good conduct. So, And yet he still called them saints. So it's quite an amazing thing that we get to be called saints and not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And our faith in Jesus Christ determines our sainthood. So we are all saints as long as we have believed in Christ And uh, it's really an awesome time that uh, we're going to have together this morning to just dig into the Word, share what God has placed on my heart this morning. Uh, But before we go there, I always remember that uh, Etienne, when he opens up his uh, services, he's always trying to crack a joke. Uh, And I was thinking about it and saying, you know, am I that kind of guy that's (laughs) that's cracking a joke like Etienne? And I was like, maybe not, but I'm going to just give it a try. So there were two gentlemen, very old gentlemen, uh, way up in their 90s. They were best friends. And one of the gentlemen fell ill, and he was on his deathbed. And the other one went to him to see him in in hospital. Uh, So while he was on the side of the bed, he said to the gentleman that was sick and dying, uh, if you go to heaven, can you please do me one favor? Can you check for me if they've got soccer in heaven? So the other gentleman said, no, it's fine, definitely. And then after a few days, the gentleman passed away and he went to heaven. And I think um, fast forward about a couple of weeks later, the other gentleman, the living one, was, was sleeping and he was having a dream. And the other gentleman from heaven uh, came to him in a dream and says, you know what? I've got good news and bad news for you. But I'm going to start and share the good news. The good news is there is soccer in heaven. And the guy was excited in his dream and say, oh, wow, this is amazing that they soccer in heaven. And then he was like, so what's the bad news? The bad news is you're playing tomorrow. <laughs> so I just thought uh, I'd share that to, to make us all feel comfortable. Um, and as we dig into, into the word, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a wonderful thing. I was thinking about the word... Witness is, I was, I was wanting, to share, wanting to share this message that God has placed on my heart, the word witness. And I, I didn't want to look into the dictionary, but I just wanted to go through a time where I was just uh, thinking about the word and just thinking about what that word really means. And then the definition that I got is not really from the dictionary, but something that God just placed on my heart. And it was... It it gave me an illustration of a witness as somebody who is signing a legal document. So when they are signing a legal document, what are they? They are a witness. To to be a witness is to be purposefully and intentionally present and in agreement 
So the Bible calls us witnesses. So in light of that definition, we are purposefully and intentionally present in this place and in agreement. What are we in agreement with? In agreement with what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So we are witnesses because of the common thing that we have, the Spirit of God living in us, what Jesus has done for us through the, through the Spirit. And um, uh, before I go into my message for this morning, I just wanted to uh, just share a little bit about myself. And um, uh, so I'm, I'm married to my wife. We've known each other for about eight years. My wife is Verna. She's in, uh, she's in the kids' ministry. We've, uh, we've known each other for eight, eight years, and we've been, we've been married for six years. And we've got two sons. Uh, the one son is Tanya. He's somewhere. I don't know if he's here. He's, he's also on the other side. He's, 20, he's 22. He's obviously not our biological son, but uh, he's legally adopted. He's my late brother's son, which, whom I legally adopted. And then we've got a son together who's three, turning four in June this year. And I'm really grateful for, for those people, particularly my wife. She's been an amazing person, amazing partner, supportive. And, um, you know, to be here present right now, to be able to minister to, uh, to you guys is just really the support that I've also been getting from her. And it's a journey that we've been walking together, the journey of getting to know Jesus Christ together. And the message that I have for us this morning that I wanted to share uh, the title really is The Revelation of Jesus. And how I came about that title, The Revelation of Jesus, is I was looking at my life, kind of my testimony, how I came to be about this place. In fact, this is now our just over three years when, uh, since we joined Grace Life. We joined Grace Life around 2018 in November. When we moved to Cape Town, Hansel, our son, was only one month old. So... Uh, we then found Grace Life through Google Maps. So God is not limited by technology. In fact, when we, when we were looking on Google Maps, we saw two churches. We saw Grace Life, and we saw another church in Devon Road. And we said to ourselves, my wife and I, we're going to go to Grace Life because they have the word grace in, their, in, their, in, their, in the name of their church. And I'm passionate about grace. But if it doesn't work, we'll go to the other church. I mean, the, the first day we came here, I think I met Bartu, was one of the people that I met. And, I mean, it was just an amazing reception. And from there on, we just never turned back. And here we are three years later, and God is just doing amazing things in our life. And thinking about the message, the revelation of Jesus Christ, this is such a broad message, such a broad topic. I mean, there's a lot that you can talk about Jesus, because the Bible calls him the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the word, a lot of things, that, a lot of attributes that you can get from the word about Jesus. But then God just said to me, you know, talk about Jesus, the word. Uh, because I'm also very passionate about the word, about teaching the word, and, you know, just digging into the word and getting to know more about what, who God is, who Jesus is from the word. And um, so that's the message we're really going to be talking about and going back to my history because my history you're going to be hearing a lot about my history because my history is actually embedded into this message because it's really significant to how I came about really coming up up with the title of this message and so I was born in a very Christian family um, when uh, my, my dad passed away when I was five so we were practically raised by, by, by my mother 
And uh, we, were, we were a very Christian family, and she really taught us in the way of the Lord. But the church that we were going to um, was a very conservative church, you know, one of those traditional conservative churches, more kind of like in the lines of um, Seventh-day Adventists, you could say, but even more conservative in my own mind, if I would say. And uh, one of the, there was a very strong inclination to legalism in the church that we grew up in. For example, I'll give you a couple of examples of things that we knew as kids growing up that we shouldn't do. It was a sin for you to go into a beer hall or a club or a club or, a, or in any place where they sell alcohol or something like that. It was a sin. To hold a beer bottle, my goodness, was, it, it was unheard of, or a cigarette or a cigarette package. It was, it was something that you wouldn't do. And uh, ladies, obviously, were, were not allowed to wear pants. So many of the ladies in the church would wear these very long dresses all the way to the ankles and they would cover their heads. And uh, one of the, the craziest things I've ever had was about guys, when you're wearing a jacket or a blazer, you couldn't wear a jacket or a blazer with a split in the back or whether it's a split or a double split. The explanation that I got from that was... If you wore a jacket like that, it means your righteousness was split in two or, or in three. <laughs> so I'm just trying to paint a picture of the kind of um, religious mindset that we grew up in uh, and being taught. But, but thinking about that and reading Romans chapter 1 verse 16 from the New King James Version, what Paul wrote. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So the gospel is not about sin. The gospel is about the power of God unto salvation. And about two weeks ago, we had a sermon from Etienne, he was saying, which was titled Salvation Redefined. And we were going into that sermon and the question was, what is salvation? We know from John 3.16 that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And God did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. So salvation is really all about eternal life and eternal life is relationship with Jesus Christ. So the gospel is about our salvation which is, in, which is really about eternal life or eternity and about our relationship with Jesus Christ. So even with that upbringing, you know, we, uh, one thing I really appreciated about the church that we grew up in is they placed a very great value and deal on the word. Even though the lens through which they read the word was, was, uh, was from, from the perspective of legalism or from the perspective of the law. But from a very young age, I knew that I needed to place so much great value on the word of God. And also the one thing that they placed great value on was Christ himself. That is why this title is the revelation of Jesus and it's about the word. Because of, it's also coming from my upbringing as much as there were all these legalistic elements that were involved in, in my upbringing. And very often we're so outward focused that we miss the reality of what's happening inside of us. We're so focused on 
people's actions, regarding people according to the flesh, and we miss the reality of what has happened on the inside of us, which is our salvation, which is Christ in us, which is the, the Spirit of God living in man. Because we, we're really looking at people from the perspective of, oh, they have done this, or they haven't done this. Which, is, which isn't really the gospel, which isn't what Christ came to do for us. And thinking about that, I opened up the, the, sermon, uh, the, the service by saying we are saints. And so, by that regard, saints cannot be sinners. Saints can never be sinners. I know that we often hear the statement, uh, we are sinners saved by grace. But that can't also be true because we hear from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Paul writing and saying, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he's talking about a former state. While we were still sinners. So that means at some point we were sinners. But when Christ died for us and when we believed in what Christ, has, what Christ did, we, we stopped being sinners. We became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So being a sinner is a former state for anyone who has received Christ. For anyone who has received salvation, being a sinner is a former state. And again, we're also always bringing about the record of our sins. And we are so often good at it. In fact, ourselves bringing record of our own sins as human beings. But that, that also can be true against the, when it comes to, to the record of, of who God is and his relationship to sin after the cross. Because we know that from Jeremiah 31, verse 33 to 34, from the New King James Version, it, uh, the prophet writes and says, this is a prophecy of what was to come. He writes and says, but this is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach the, his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God does not remember our sins. He has no record of our sins. And that concept alone actually blows my mind because we know God in his sovereignty is all-knowing. I mean, he knows the end from the beginning. But he chooses, in light of our salvation, not to remember our sins. In light of our salvation, he chooses not to remember our sins. Even though he knows everything, but for the sake of our salvation, he doesn't remember our sins. And yet we are also the ones that are bringing up our own misdeeds. Which is something that God doesn't do himself. And coming back to my history, um, so growing up, uh, when it comes to the issue of salvation, <laughs> I told you there were so many things that were happening. We grew up being taught that you needed to hear an audible voice telling you that your sins have been forgiven for you to be saved. So, so you can imagine I grew up with a lot of, a lot of uh, my fellow kids coming up from kids' church, growing up, being teenagers and all that. And, you know, because I, 
I think from a very young age, God was already speaking to me, and I wanted, so I wanted to be saved. But for 24 years of my life, I didn't hear an audible voice saying to me, your sins are forgiven. So at some point, I started thinking that maybe, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm the, one of those people that are eternally condemned who can never be saved because I, I wasn't hearing it. And I used, also used to ask my, my friends, my fellow friends, did any of you guys hear that voice? And none of them were. But, but you see, the problem with the church that we grew up in is that there, were, there used to be certain meetings where you couldn't attend if you're not saved. So there were exclusions. So that means you used to miss out on certain things if you were not saved. And I mean, how much we wanted to be part of all those meetings and we couldn't because we were not saved. And obviously our parents and some of the elders in the church would always come to us and say, you kids, you've got hard hearts. Why are you not saved by now? You understand? So, so, so I then started realizing over time that some of my friends started lying that they were saved so that they could be part of. But, but I couldn't bring myself to that point where I could lie because I really wanted to experience the truth of salvation as is, is I was reading it in the Word. So for 24 years of my life, I couldn't experience this thing called salvation because of that hindrance that I had that I needed to hear an audible voice. Until I met this lady when I was at university, she, she told me, but the Bible says we are saved by faith, by grace through faith. You only need to believe what you've heard about Christ and you're saved. And from that day, you know, that started really just ringing in my mind to say, but what does she mean? I just need to believe it. What does she mean? I need to believe it. And I remember this one time at university, we used to stay off campus and I used to share a room with a, a good friend of mine. And I was in my room alone that day. He was not there. I wasn't even listening to a sermon. I wasn't even... There was no, like I wasn't even reading the Bible. But from the day that that lady said to me, you only need to believe, there was a stirring in my heart to want to receive salvation. And so I led myself to salvation. And I got saved in my room, right in my room at university, with no man in sight, no pastor in sight. I wasn't even listening to a sermon when I got saved. Which brings me to a side note I just want to share to say that if you think you're here at church in this place for God, partly you're right, but you're wrong also because you can experience God anywhere you are. Like you don't have to be in a physical building at church for you to experience God because I did experience God in a room, not at church, not even listening to a sermon, not without even a pastor inside. I, I experienced God and now... Knowing, knowing what the whole idea about salvation was, that it was all about the Spirit of God living in men. Everyone who has believed has the Spirit of God in them. That means you can experience God anywhere else. And if you're only coming to experience God at church, then you're missing out on the six days and 22 hours when you're not at church. Because you could be experiencing God all that time as well. And that is something that really I am also growing in, just to be conscious of the fact that, you know what, I can experience God anytime, anywhere. God is not limited to a building. 
Paul said himself, Paul said it himself that God cannot be housed in uh, buildings made by men. But God chose to be housed in our hearts, inside of us, as human beings. The Spirit of God, God himself lives in us. And one thing about um, salvation at my old church was, it was a three-step process. <laughs> so, so, you know, as I'm piling all this, so you can imagine what it took for me to get to a point of salvation given what I grew up being taught. It was a three-step process where you needed to be born again, hear the audible voice. Then secondly, you needed um, to go through a process which was called sanctification. Then afterwards, that's, o- that's only when you could receive the, bab- the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the illustration about the born-again experience and sanctification was being born again was likened or was, uh, yeah, was likened to a tree that was there and that was being cut down. But it wasn't cut down at the roots. They were only cutting it down and leaving a stump. That is, that, that is what they used to call the born-again experience. That's the illustration they gave. Then they said, if you remained like that, as a born-again Christian without being sanctified, what would happen is, normally if, you, if you've seen some trees that have been cut and you left a stump, this, there are some offshoots that start coming up, right? So they say if you remain like that, then you would backslide because some offshoots, sorry about that, some offshoots would, would start coming up. And uh, then you would go back to your old nature. But that, that's obviously contrary to the word. Because whoever is born of God does not sin, and that seed is incorruptible. And so the sanctification process was a process where, they, where you're, you are now uprooting that stump. And then only then are you so clean for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So there was always this hindrance. So, so, so you thought the exclusion was only for those that were not saved. It was also, there was also an exclusion for those that were not sanctified and baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't enough to just be saved. You also had to be sanctified and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was all, all a process. And um, going back to, you know, to that, to that process of, um, of salvation, and, uh, you know, just being saved through hearing an audible voice. One thing that just God was ministering to me is that salvation is not through our senses. Um, some feel like if you've gone to church or if, if, uh, and then you feel some goosebumps during worship, then you've encountered God. But, but salvation is, through, is not through our senses. We are called to live by faith. We are called, we are saved by grace through faith. And not through goosebumps. So anyone can experience goosebumps. You can experience goosebumps watching sports. You can experience goosebumps watching a movie. And experiencing goosebumps at church doesn't mean you've experienced God. Because goosebumps are just part of your physical nature. Like we only experience God through our, our, our fellowship and communion with the Spirit. Spirit of God living in us. And that all is all about faith. And we also know from Romans chapter 8, verse 4 to 5, that we are, 
We're, not, we're called to live by faith and by the impulses of the Spirit, not by our physical senses. Romans 8, verse 4 to 5 says from the Passion, So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointing one living in us. And we are free to live not according to our flesh, the goosebumps, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves. But those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. So we only get to experience the spiritual realities when we yield to the Holy Spirit living in us and not to what we get to experience in our bodies. Yes, there's a, there's a part of emotions and all these things. Yes, those things are important, but I'm not saying that we should base our walk with God on our emotions. Feeling like not coming to God or feeling like not wanting to read the Bible doesn't mean suddenly I don't have the Spirit of God in living, living in me. I do have the Spirit. Maybe in just, in just in that moment, maybe I just don't feel like it due to some other reasons that may be affecting my mind or anything, but we, we, we have the Spirit of God living in us whether we feel it or not. And then moving on, so talking about grace, when I got saved at university, I still hadn't heard about the message on, of grace, of what Jesus, I had been saved and I could already, the, there was a passion in me like to, to want to know more. So I, I, was, I was looking for something that could, you know, make me know more about this experience that I had just gotten, this salvation. So I told you I had a friend whom I used to share a room with at university and a couple of months later, that friend of mine got saved also in the same room. And um, he was the first one to come across Joseph Prince. And then he, say, he came to me and he said, I need you to listen to this. So I listened to one of Joseph Prince's sermons. I can't remember which one. My initial reaction was, no way. Remember, all those 24 years of legalism were coming now to say, it can't be right what this guy is saying because we grew up being taught, you shall not do this, you shall do that, you shall not do this, you shall do that. And all this guy is saying is, I am free to do anything because of Christ, of what Christ has done. Not necessarily to be sinful, but I'm saying, you are saying that we are not bound by the law. And I was like, no way. But then, in my saying no way, I remembered my upbringing told me that we should place a very great um, value on the word of God as the ultimate authority. So I was like, but everything that he shared is from the Bible. And I value the word of God that much. So maybe I ought to give him a chance. So I started listening more and more. But this time around, what I did is, as he was reading a verse, I opened it for myself to read, to see if what he was saying was in line with what the scripture was saying. And then I realized I was the wrong one. I quickly realized that I was the wrong one and I fell crazy in love with the message of grace. And in that moment now, I started seeing things I'd never seen before in the word. And I wanted to know more, so I didn't know what to do. So I, I said, you know what, I want to read the Bible and I want to know more about this. 
So I just started reading from Romans all the way to Revelation. Reading chapter by chapter, verse by verse, to understand more. And like I said, I started seeing things I had never seen before in the Word. So the Word itself convinced me. I, did, I also didn't need anybody. Joseph Prince obviously was the conduit in this instance to leading me to hear about the purity of the gospel of grace. But ultimately what convinced me to believe the message was the word itself. Because I went and I read it for myself. And I, and I could see that there is truth in what, what the word is saying about, about grace, about how we are saved by grace, about how you know, grace is unmerited. We don't have to do anything to please God because God is already pleased with us through Jesus Christ. So talking about Jesus and him being the word, John chapter 1 verse 1 to 4 says, In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So what these verses are saying is Jesus himself is the word. Jesus is God, and he is the word. And John, verse 14 then goes on to say that, And the word became flesh, talking about Jesus, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So what word have you been hearing? Has the word that you've been hearing full of grace and truth or condemnation and lies? Because the word that we know, the word who is Christ is full of grace and truth. That's why there can never be salvation apart from grace. Because the word Jesus is full of grace and truth, not condemnation and lies. John 17, 17 also says that sanctify them by your truth because your word is truth. So the entirety of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, is really a book about Jesus. Because that in the Bible is contained the word of God. And what is the story of the Bible? The story of the Bible is really a story about Jesus we grew up reading Revelation and I used to, be get, used to get scared. But the moment I realized that the Bible is all about revealing who Jesus is, I went back to the book of Revelation and I started seeing Jesus. And no more was I scared because now I'm seeing the word for what it truly is, the revelation of Jesus. And we know what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his days when they were busy going into the word, looking for everything else apart from him. He says in John chapter 5, verse 39 to 40 from the message translation, you have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there. And, and if I pause there for a moment, what is wrong with, with eternal life? Christ came to give us eternal life, right? So Jesus saying you have your head's in the Bible because you think you have eternal life. What is wrong with finding eternal life? The problem is, if we read further, you say, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And then Jesus said, and here I am, standing right before you, 
and you are not willing to receive me, the life you say you want. So they were busy searching the scriptures, looking for eternal life, and yet eternal life was right in front of them and they couldn't receive it. So we can be, we can also have our heads in the Bible looking for everything else, prosperity, healing, money, and all these things, which are not bad things in and of themselves, just like eternal life is not bad. But all these things are found and fulfilled in Christ. So whoever finds Christ finds eternal life. Whoever finds Christ finds healing. Whoever finds Christ finds prosperity. Everything else that we need, if we search for it apart from Christ, we won't find the reality of what Christ came to bring us. So the Bible, the entire Bible is all about Jesus Christ. And that is the one we should be searching to know more about. And talking about the word being the truth, we live in a world that is so much controlled about by what we hear, see on the media. And if you want to really see an indication of what kind of news comes out in the world right now, just turn on the news, any news channel. What makes breaking news? Bad news. If you want to see a breaking news headline it, on any TV channel, go just, just go turn it on right now. It's bad news. But that is not the truth. Psalm 119 verse 160 says that the sum total of your words adds up to the absolute truth. And every one of your righteous decree, decree, decrees is everlasting. And we know from John 14 verse 6, a very popular passage of scripture that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no, one comes, uh, and no one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know the Father too. So the truth is not really based on human opinion because we know also that human opinion has always changed from decade to decade. What our fathers and grandfathers used to call the truth may have changed now. And we may be looking back at those times, at their times, and saying, but how could they have said that to be the truth? Judging them because of the time they lived. Guess what? Generations to come after us will also judge us based on our times to say, but how could those people have lived like that? So meaning, the truth based from the worldly perspective is changing. But the reality is the truth does not change. The truth is Christ. Christ is the truth and the truth is eternal. The truth is constant. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forevermore. So that means if Christ is the truth, then the truth is eternal and the truth is constant and the truth does not change. So our basis of the truth is not what the world says the truth is. Our basis of the truth is what Christ says the truth is. And then as, I, as I'm coming to a close, I just want us to just think for a moment um, what the word is to us. James calls the word a mirror. And I just want to read that particular passage of scripture just to illuminate what he meant by the word being a mirror. And we know what a mirror does, right? Recording in progress. It's 
it, it, it shows us a reflection of ourselves. So James chapter 1, verse 21 to 25 says, So this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has, implant, which has been implanted within our nature. For the word of life is power to continually deliver us. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen to the word and don't leave out the message you hear, you become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word. But then you go out and you forget, you forget your divine origin. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. So we go into the word to discover ourselves. We go into the word to see who we are. And the word says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are according to the word. And then also 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 says, But we all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. So what is the Spirit in us doing? The Spirit, the Spirit of God in us is taking us to the Word and showing us who we are. And the more we start to see who we are, the more we are transformed into that image, the image of the Son. So the more we see ourselves in the Word, the more we become just like Jesus. That is the purpose of the Word. And then in closing, this message that we preach, this word that we preach is free and so is the power that comes with the word. It's free and so is the power. We hear from 1 Corinthians 9 verse 17 to 18 from the Passion. It says, this is Paul writing and saying, if, we, if it were my own idea to preach as a way to make a living, I would expect to be paid. Since it's not my idea but God's who commissioned me, I am entrusted with the stewardship of the gospel whether or not I'm paid. So then where is my reward? It is found in continually depositing the good news into people's hearts without obligation, free of charge, and not insisting on my rights to be financially supported. Of course, he was talking about a different context, but again, the context of the word is it's free and so is the power that comes with it. So what is our motivation to preach? It is to continually see, uh, deposit the gospel or the good news into people's hearts. So people should be our motivation. Seeing people moving from darkness to light should be our motivation for preaching the gospel. And in, and in conclusion, I, I just want to just run down some of the points that I mentioned. That the gospel is not about sin. The more we talk about sin, the more we take away from the power of the gospel. The gospel is about our salvation. Jesus is the word. And the word is full of grace and truth. Not condemnation and lies. 
And then the question I'll ask you is, what truth right now is convincing you? What is convincing you right now in the world? What, what have you been hearing that is convincing you right now? We should be convinced by the word, by the truth of the word. And the truth is eternal. It lives forever. The truth is constant. It never changes. Jesus is that truth. And the word that we read is all about Jesus. And it's a mirror pointing us to the reality of what's inside of us. So the encouragement that I'll leave with every single one of us as we go into our weeks and everywhere we go, first of all is just to remember what the word is for, what the word says about us, and then go share the same message with people that need to hear this truth.